God the praise for this beautiful music. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joe and the team. We want to just bow our heads as we pray at this time. Lord, we thank you for tonight again and for the opportunity to study your word. We, as we study these things, we realize we don't know anything. We desire to know you and to know you more. As we study this also, we pray that we shall be prepared for your coming. And we shall be equipped to help others prepare for your coming. Grant us the grace, O Lord, that the spirit of which, Lord, you touch John on the Isle of Patmos, we shall have that encounter as well. That we shall write, and not only write, but we shall act. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This, I believe, is the fourth of the letters written to seven churches. We have dealt with a letter to the church in Ephesus. We dealt with the one to Sardis. We dealt with Pegamon, Pegamon or Pegas, Pegamos. And today, we are dealing with the church in Thyatira. The letter to the church in Thyatira, which is found in Revelations 2, verse 18 to 29. Every one of the letters we have shared is unique because every church or every gathering of the people of God has some kind of uniqueness. And so is this church as well. And it's always, as I realize, important to link the letter and its recipients to the culture. That is why the scripture says that to whom much is given, much more is required. And those that are lived by faith, they will also be judged by faith. Or if you live by the law, you are taught by the law, you also be judged accordingly. So sometimes you ask people, people ask them, what about those people in this part of the world, that part of the world? God has a way of reaching everybody. And everybody's situation kind of, God finds a way to bring Christ to the center of it. Irrespective of your culture, irrespective of the difficulties you may face, irrespective of the, the peculiar trials and tribulations you may think you are facing, as the scripture says, there is no temptation that is just common to you. But for every one of the temptations, God provides a way of escape. As we, say, we read about in Romans chapter 10, I believe verse 13. So, there is an escape that you have. So you cannot say, oh, because I am in my situation is kind of unique. And the kind of problems we are facing with idolatry, these other people, they don't know. Or the kind of situation we are facing with immorality or financial immorality or whatever, my situation is so unique. Whichever way it is, God has a way of helping you to escape. Hallelujah. And not just to help you to escape, but also the word and the fundamentals are the same. The fundamentals that God has given us opportunity and he's given us a grace and that one day he will judge all of us according to his own word. The script is the same. 
So we should not delude ourselves that because I am in a peculiar situation, my marking scheme or my standard would be different. You notice that all the letters so far, the overcoming statement is there. He that overcomes, he that overcomes, he that overcomes. So it's the same marking scheme. And he begins by introducing himself and that he's Christ, he's Lord, and different ways and forms. But he's still Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we must not get into a mindset of feeling that we are unique because we belong to church A or church B. Or because I'm in this part of the world, God will look at me differently. Or that part of the world, God will look at us differently. God has his way of looking at us, but I can tell you that the standard is the same whichever way we look at it. Tonight, the focus is on the church in Tartara. And in Revelation chapter 2, from verse 18, we read that the unto the angel of the church in Tartara write these things, saith the Son of God. Who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Notice that all these letters, the description of Christ is filled with symbolism. And even the, the description of the church. We talked about the, 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 the candlesticks. We talked about the stars. And here we are talking about the ones whose eyes are like the flame of fire. And fire means something. Then we, we need to pay attention to the details of each letter and why would Jesus specifically choose a particular description of himself. He could have just said, I am Jesus, the Son of God, or I am the Son of Man. In all the letters, I write to you as the one who will sit and judge. But you notice everyone had a peculiar description. And we talked also earlier when we laid the foundation that the pattern has, a, has something to do with a message, a peculiar message to that group. Now, this less, the lesson here is that we may all be in the church, but there, when we are, we are reading the Word of God, when there is preaching going on, there are emphasis that will hit you well or much better than somebody else. We all read the same scripture, but the application of it is easier felt by some than others. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean God is discriminating, but because of our composition, what we have been through. And that is also why we also need to be careful when we are assessing people's journey in Christ. Because sometimes, where people have been, you have not been there. Where I have been, you might not have been there. So I need to be careful in judging, in assessing and thinking, oh, how come God is using that person this way? How come that person is not overcoming it this way? Because everybody's background is kind of different. Jesus addresses each church in that uniqueness of their, their circumstance. So, looking at this particular letter, looking at the introduction, he describes himself, he says, he is the son of God. In the previous letters, he did not describe himself as the son of God. Hallelujah. In fact, to Pergamos, he says he had a sharp two-edged sword. And last night we dwelt a lot on the two-edged sword. The way he speaks, the word of God cutting both sides and having effect. Now here we are, he's describing himself as a son of God. Historically, 
when you read a bit about Tytara, this is a city which was supposed to be a very prosperous city. Um, and uh, you notice that um, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, there's a talk about a woman called Lydia uh, that's mentioned in uh, Paul's visit to, uh, before uh, Philippi. And we met that woman there who's had the Lord opened. The Bible said he, she was into the trading of, of, of dye stuff. And you know the history of, of, of the civilization is such that cities and places that had a lot of, had, had a lot of um, um, uh, textile industry or gold and things like that tended, uh, usually had a lot of business booming. So this was a city that was supposed to be one of the old Greek cities, but in modern day uh, Turkey, which was very uh, populous or had a lot of activity. But one of the things you notice also about these cities is that a lot of them, because of the business people and people coming in and crisscrossing, they always moved with religious practices. They always moved with their own idols and many times they felt that they needed the power of some power, um, supreme uh, being or some something to keep going. So a lot of these cities were involved in idolatry in one form or the other. Now the case of Tytara, they believed in the Greek god the, 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 uh, called Zeus. The son of Zeus was the one that they were worshipping. You know, um, you remember that Paul and his friend went somewhere and they, they, they were even worshipping them in those days thinking that they, because of the miracles they were actually the gods come down to man. In, and Paul also explained when he met the Athenians that God, in those times, God has overlooked those when they were ignorant. Now, in those days, when uh, the gospel was preached in Tyatara, there was that understanding that the God of the Greeks also had a son. And so, that was the son of that God that they were worshipping in that city. Now, so Jesus, describing himself as the son of God, of the Most High God, was intentional, I believe, to establish that, look, they have a, 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 a God there, but there is a high God, the God of gods, or the Lord of lords. And I am the son of that Lord of lords. So this is your God that you are having. Even though you, you, you admire him, there is somebody who is a supremo. Hallelujah. So that is why Jesus describes himself as the son of God. And he's also establishing his divinity and the fact that he is the heir of all creation. The God who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who reigns with him. And which also means that when it comes to goodness or well-being, because he is the son of God and he is an heir to the father, every asset that he has, he is telling the people that don't put your hope and your life in the properties or in the, uh, uh, the textiles or the beauty of whatever you have, or the jewelry you have, or anything you have, assets you have, but I'm, you, if you reign and rule with me, you have all of these things at your disposal. Hallelujah. So the sonship there is about divinity, it's also about heirship. And in the Gospels, we know that Jesus was affirmed by the Father during the baptism, and he was also affirmed by the Father during the transfiguration. Amen. So, he also goes on to describe himself as the one with the eyes like the flame of fire. The eyes like the flame of fire. Ready to see and to judge. When you say 
It says like. So it didn't say that the eyes were a flame of fire. But like a flame of fire. Now when, what does fire do? Fire refines. But when you say the eyes are like that, it means, as we say in Ghanaian parlance, he is serious. When somebody's eyes is on flames, it means there is something at stake. It's a serious matter that he has come to discuss with the church of Tyatara. It was not a joking matter. So the the description of his eyes is an indication of the, the judgment attitude. Now, sometimes when you, if I don't know how many of us have been to court, but when you, you are in a place where a king or a judge is about to rule, and it's a serious matter, and it's about to rule, his countenance is not the casual type. He's not looking and smiling. He's serious. His eyes sometimes can turn around. Because sometimes as you hear things, I remember even in Ghana here, when we had the reconciliation, and people were listening, talking about their narratives, the, the counselors or the, 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 the commissioners, where get, they got involved with the thing. So when you are sitting, you are listening to the situation, you are observing the situation, which is a serious matter, your eye, it reflects in the look of your eyes. And Jesus is saying, now look, this thing I'm telling the churches, or the church in Tatara, is a serious business. Hallelujah. So his eyes were like the flame of fire, ready to see and to judge. And he, he is also the, also indicating that he, if the flame is there and is alert, it's a sign. When there's a flame, it's a sign of alertness, and it, it means he cannot be deceived. In Galatians six, we are told that do not be deceived. God is not mocked. So God sees through us. We pray that God, we are, we operate with an understanding that whatever we do, openly or secretly, whatever. God sees us. And that is an alert to all of us. May God help us. Amen. So God reads our motives. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 10. If you have it, let's read that. It says, I, the Lord, I search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Many times, when it has to do with men, it's easy to impress. That's why Paul told the Colossians in chapter 3, Verse 17 and 23. So whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Many times, when it comes to works, which is what we are going to be seeing in a short while, when it comes to deeds, when it comes to charity, we are able to do it in a way that men and everybody approves. But God, Jesus is signaling that, look, this thing is not about what people see. Because my eye is a flame, is a deeper, it, it has a, a deeper way of penetrating whatever I'm seeing. I'm not seeing things on the surface. So I see deeper. And so he cannot be deceived by our looks and our feelings and our sentiments. Hallelujah. Now, finally, he says, he's the one whose feet is as brass. Brass. And he says, let's, let's conclude that statement. Feet are like brass. Hallelujah. Now, this fine, when you say fine brass, you didn't just say brass. Say fine brass. When you see the word fine, it means that it has been through fire. It has been purified. Because the raw brass is not fine. It is when it has been beaten, it has been stretched, it has been uh, molded, and it polished. Then you call it 
fine brass. Now, what does, the, what does that symbolize? It symbolizes the fact that Jesus said in Hebrew, said that he has been through everything. We don't have a high priest who has not, who's not been tested and tempted. But he's all situations. He has tempted like, he's been tempted like us. And yet without sin. That is what makes him fine brass. So when we think that our situation is so peculiar, and that because of that we gain exemptions, he's saying, look, at my feet, me where I stand, where I stand, my feet, where I stand, where I'm coming from, is like, I've been beaten. If there's anybody who has been beaten, I am the one. If there's anybody who has been through fire, I am the one. If there's anyone who has been accused, I am the one. If there's anyone who, who has been uh, uh, insulted, I am the one. If there's anybody who has been disrespected, I am the one. If there's anybody who people do not regard and think that he's nobody, I am the one. And yet, through all of this, who has been tried, who has been set up, who has been misunderstood, misrepresented across the, the globe, through generations, he says, I am the one. But in the midst of all of this, I passed the test. Hallelujah. I passed. Which is telling you and I that the same way you and I shall pass the test. Say amen. So that is a description of Jesus, the one that we are dealing with. He's telling us that he's passed the test. So whatever test we are facing in that difficult township or village or community which has so many trials, temptations, difficulties, we are able to pass the test. Hallelujah. And then he's also saying that he's seen through us. All that we are going through, what we think we, are, we, we can't go through, and what we think is really the motive, he's seen through it. And as I said, he's establishing that of all the sons, he is the son of God. He's not just anybody, but the son of God. Amen. Now the commendation. In verse 19, like He's done in other letters. He says, I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works. And the last to be more than the first. Let's deal with the the, the works. Knowledge of the works. What do we, does he describe or what do we know as works? Charity is about love. Service. Faith. And patience. And thy works. I don't know why he emphasized the works twice. It gives me the impression that this was a church that prided themselves in their ministerial or church activities or social activities. What they were doing for the community. What they were doing for each other. They are, the way they were attending each other's uh, uh, funerals, weddings and helping people in the community. And everybody around the town which was, was proud of them. This church is special. They are doing this. They, when we needed this, they did it. When we, everybody goes, when it's time for school, they pay everybody's fees. They are very helpful. They are very supportive. They do things for people. They do things for their members. They do things for the community. They do things for the nation. So these are great works that Jesus did not condemn. 
He says, I know all these works you are doing. Things that signify. Things that when you look at, they visited those who were in prison. They visited those that were, 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 were naked. They gave them clothing to wear. They gave them food to eat. And you see, what the things that are mentioned in Matthew 25. That they were in jail. They were visited. They were hungry. They were fed. They were, they were thirsty. They had water to drink. These are all great works. Hallelujah. In fact, when you read that part, you say that, go away. Those who didn't do those things, he said they should go because they are workers of iniquity. And those who also did not actively work with their gifts, they were told they were workers of iniquity. So the works there also shows people who are busy, they are singing, they are preaching, they are teaching, they are doing all the works that people can see and everybody is applauding and believing that yes, God is working through them. Charity, love, we are told, is the greatest. And they have been commended. And without love, no man can please God or, or, or fulfill the purpose of God. Because the, the, the greatest commandment is love. So these guys have passed. You take it. They take them for works. They take them for charity, love. They take them for service. That means they did service without complaining. They were, they were humble. They, 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 among themselves and to the community, I believe so, they were very, very, very serviceable. They made people happy. They fulfilled people's needs. Then they also had faith. And here we're talking about faithfulness. They were reliable. They were dependable. Whatever was left in their hands, you came back and you, got, you saw it working. They didn't have complaints. When you read the parable of the talents, these were faithful. The, those who turned around, don't multiply. They were faithful. So you came and some of them, they, they, were, they were 10 members in the house group. Before you realize, they have become 20. The next minute, they have become 30. They were faithful. They were studying. They said, oh, let's meet at 2 and they'll be there at 2. Let's close, let meet at 4. They'll be there at 4. They were there all the time doing all these things. And Jesus said, I see you've done all these things. Patience presupposes that they were tempted. Patience means they were under pressure to give up. And yet, they didn't give up. They were waiting. They didn't get all their problems met. Their needs were not all met, but still, they were still serving the Lord. Today, many of us, we haven't even crossed the path of patience. But here you are, saints that were doing very well. They were waiting on the Lord. Some of them were waiting for husbands. Some were waiting for wives. Some were waiting for children. Some were waiting for breakthroughs, traveling. But some were waiting for other success. And they, they, they were not seeing it. And yet, they were serving the Lord. And the Lord was commending them. And in the midst of all of these, they were examples of the Father as a church which didn't get converted early, yet they were doing very well. So the last mod, they were an example of what we call in three, uh, the Kambedi actually. They were, even though they, those were, they were behind, those, they, they outstripped those who were ahead. They were doing better than those who started. So they were commendable. And Jesus mentions the last more than the first. So even though the word didn't get to you early, you have done well. If you look at the way you are, you, 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 are, you are zealous for the Lord. And you seem to love righteousness and holiness. And everything seems to be well. You are raising leaders. You are doing well. It's an amazing fellowship. It looked. But then, but, remember the but in the first teaching, 
the letter to Ephesians. The but. The Lord gets to the next verse. Says, but. Notwithstanding. It's another way of saying but. Verse 20. I have a few things against thee. And most of the few things border around their relationship with Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? Which called herself a prophetess. Now, note the expression, she called herself. So there are many people that are calling themselves things. <laughs> things. All kinds of titles, all kinds of positions. That God doesn't know them as such. But they are calling, she is saying she's prophetess. That's why we also need to be very careful because this part from verse 20 down is a very, very delicate part. And I'm, we, we all need to be careful that even as children of God or ministers of God, it's not everybody who is calling himself a reverend or a bishop or something like that you need to be closely associated with. I've seen that from this. Because she called herself prophet and there are many men of God and children of God say, oh, but he's also a man of God or she's also a woman of God. But Jesus said, this woman, she is calling herself prophetess. Belongs to that group and that group and that group. So no, Paul said, Yes, what we know no man after the flesh. He, this message is telling us, the letter of, uh, to the Tatar people is telling us that don't just follow and believe and receive ministry just because people say, I am so so and so. Let the Holy Spirit be a witness. Is he calling himself prophetess or herself prophetess or prophet? or whatever, or God has endorsed. And if you don't endorse, it doesn't mean you have to disrespect, but you don't have to submit. You don't have to be taken in. So how do you, how do we navigate this? It says, this woman, called Jezebel, called as a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. And to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, the Bible talks about Jezebel in the book of Kings. Second Kings. There's a whole lot of passages about her. I won't go into that. In Chronicles. Second Chronicles also. There's a whole lot of things about her. In fact, First Kings starts talking about Jezebel and it continues. Chronicles also. Second Chronicles. Now... That Jezebel we saw, there's not a Jezebel in the book of Revelation. Just as the, the Balaam spirit we saw, it's not the same Balaam. But the spirit, the character traits of the, of the Balaam that we read about in Numbers is that character trait we are seeing here. So the Jezebel is not the same woman because that woman was killed. But her spirit, you know the unclean spirits, don't actually die. Demons don't actually die until their final judgment. So that spirit gangs up. And re- when you read the scriptures in Matthew 12, 43 to 45, Jesus said, when the unclean spirit leaves. So when the Jezebel died, the spirits that were working in her, I don't believe they died. They, they started looking for a place to, play, to place themselves. They, went, they didn't find any activity there. They went to gang up and came with seven stronger and imagine the number of years from the time of the kings, King Ahab, time, up to the time of Christ, up to the time of the Pauline era, up to the time of the book of Revelation. And if that same Jezebel spirit, this Jezebel spirit we're talking about is not an easier one, it would have been much, much stronger. It was an army 
of the same behavioral pattern that Jezebel in the time of Ahab was manifesting. And this Jezebel spirit, as we know, she was the wife of Ahab. And they were worshippers of the Baal, the fertility god, as we know historically. Now, what that tells me is that one of the attractions to Jezebel is this, that easy attraction is the desire for fertility. Things to do with fertility can easily take a person into it because if you are, she's worshipping the fertility God and you also want fertility easily, sometimes the temptation can, can be. It doesn't mean that everybody who is uh, uh, seeking a child will fall prey, but it is an easy access. It's a, it's, a, it's a cue. Now, he says that Jezebel, the stories are many about her. We can't go through all her stories. But quite a number of them. What does she represent? She represents rebellion. She stood against the prophet Elijah. And the man of God had to run for his life. She represents scheming. When she came and the king said, I have uh, is, is, uh, Elijah has destroyed all the prophets about. She knew, she said, hand him over to me. I will take over the battle. Scheming. She represented witchcraft and idolatry. Jezebel represents somebody with no moral restraint. Shameless. Doesn't care. She represents a murderer. She also represents covetousness. Remember the story of Nabob's, uh, uh, Nabob's vineyard in First Kings, I think, 21. The man, the king wanted that vineyard. And the husband couldn't take it from Nabob. So what does she She comes and says, I'll deal with it. Leave it with me. Covetousness. Vindictiveness. Jesus now rebukes the church in Thyatira for associating or accommodating all of these. What does it mean for you, to you and I? Sometimes as believers, we are not able to stand up to these things. The spirit of Jezebel, you will not see a woman called Jezebel standing in front of us. But when you see some of these things manifest in behavior, either at Membership or leadership, wherever you find it, public service, wherever, watch it. The spirit of Jezebel at work. What do we do as church when we see these things? When we see rebellion? When we see scheming? When we see witchcraft? Witchcraft is a spirit of rebellion in another sense. When we see occultism being promoted? When we see moral restraint not being adhered to? When we see people lying, murderers, through lying, deception, covetousness. When you see it, when you see somebody who is vindictive. Sometimes some of us are close to people who are leaders or people with power who are vindictive. And we are not able to say anything. That is, those are the people Jesus is questioning. You are close to a power base. And things are happening and we say nothing. And we do nothing. And Jesus is saying... I have an issue with them. Not because you are operating as Jezebel, but because, say, because, change it to the, uh, the, the, verse 20, change it to the new international or any of the new modern versions. 
to change the world. You are permitting. Permitting. It means you are the means to say no. Turn to another NIV. Because you allow. You allow. So you, we should not allow these things within our sphere as church. And if we allow these things within our sphere as church, God holds us accountable. What he's saying is that we are actually in bed with Jezebel. You are not saying anything. You have not openly gone to worship the idol. You have not gone to uh, behave, do all the immoral things that Jezebel is known for. But we find ourselves accommodating. And when the church, the body of Christ, we end up having so much room and understanding all these things in our everyday lives without saying anything, without cautioning, we are not saying every day you see this, go and fight that, go and fight that when the Lord has not given you the money. But when it comes to your doorstep and you have to make a decision, something is going on in the office, something is going on in the family, something is going on around you, which requires for you to speak or to act or to avoid, take a stand. Tell your neighbor, take a stand. Take a stand. Jesus rebuked the church for not taking a stand. And he says, I'll cast her into bed with her accomplices. Verse 21 to 23. And she and her children will die. I was trying to understand whether it's physical death or not a spiritual death. I want to believe that both. Hallelujah. I believe that not only would they be cut off, because already those that are unbelievers, they are spiritually cut off. So we are t- I believe that this death is physical. Maybe they have short lives sometimes or other ways. But I believe that fundamentally they are cut off spiritually from God. And First John 5, 11 and 12 tells us something. That if we have the Son, we have life. And this, son is in, this life is in the Son. Hallelujah. Let's, let's read. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. He that has a son has life. He that has not the son of God, you see the son of God is coming here, hath not life. Amen. However, if we reject the spirit of Jezebel, all the things that were mentioned there, and we take a stand for the Lord, there is a reward for us. For rejecting idolatry and rebellion, we will be rewarded with power over nations. Will be rewarded to rule with a rod of iron. Will be rewarded with He giving us the morning star. Now that we know Jesus is the morning star, the bright morning star. But Jesus, when He says, I'll give you the morning star, I want to believe that He will make us established as His ambassadors wherever we go. People will look up to us. Because when people would sleep, they look forward to the morning star in the morning in hope. And you and I, wherever we go, people will look up to us in expecting direction as the morning star of our time. I pray that God will give us understanding and give us the courage to resist any form of falsehood. Any Jezebel spirit. So Jezebel is not only cast in a woman. A man can operate the spirit of Jezebel. A king can operate the spirit of Jezebel. 
anybody, any, a, a Jezebel does not need to be somebody as a kid, as a president or anything like that. Anyone who has access to power, and each one of us has access to power, can easily be manipulated by the spirit of Jezebel. I pray that none of us will avail ourselves, nor make room for the spirit of Jezebel. That was a warning to the church. And that is the only thing that this church needed to cross to be called overcomers. I pray that it will not be the same for you and I. But God will grant us the grace that we will manifest the victory over the spirit of Jezebel and the like. Let us bow our heads as we pray. Pray for courage. He says he has the eyes with flames of fire, like flames of fire. That means he can see through. Everything that I do, everything you do, everything you, see, you, 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 you think about, you reflect on, God sees it. Tell him in your, in, your, in your weakness, Lord, I need the strength. That flame can help us. Since he's, 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 he's a pure brass, he has been through the mill and he's refined. He has been beaten and yet he's strong, he's firm on the ground. You too, whatever you are going through that you feel beaten, you will overcome. You will stand. You will live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. So say, Lord, help me to withstand. I stand with Christ like the fine brass. Be a son of God, a true ambassador, an heir of the kingdom. Having hope in the name of Jesus. We want to rule and reign with Christ. So we will stand Jezebel in the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of rebellion. Covetousness will not be our portion. Anything that depicts Jezebel's spirit. Competitiveness. competitiveness, Envy. Anything. Manipulation. Scheming. Anything that the enemy will seek to use like Jezebel did. God, open our eyes to see it to overcome in the name of Jesus. Help me, Lord. Help my brethren in the name of Jesus. Heal us, O Lord, of any trait of compromising with Jezebel that we shall not be hindered in your rule because of compromise in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we have called upon you. You have heard us in Jesus' name. Amen.